0: Of hellfire, and I bring you fire.
1: And now it's time to sit back and enjoy the two true freaks internet radio broadcast.
2: The Vault of Startling Monster Horror Tales of Terror!
0: <laughs>
3: Hello, my little pyromaniacs! You know, a lot of people these days seem to want to set the government on fire. But you don't even realize a little girl, eight years old, Already did it in 1984. Slackers. She basically fired the CIA, and you're crying about getting a timeout on Facebook. Sit down, shut up, and watch Firestarter. Maybe you'll learn something.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the vault of startling monster horror, Tales of Terror. I am one of your hosts this evening, Mr. Luke Giaconetti. I'd like to thank everyone for downloading and listening to the show today. And we have a scorcher for you today. And I can't do this by myself, so I am joined left to right across your podcast dial. First up, the hair metal hero, Chris Tyler. You made a trespassing. Show me a warning, and get off my land. I'm a not surprised a hero went with that one, and uh, <laughs> also also Carney. joining us tonight my brother Mr. Jason Jackanetti. Unless I woke up in Russia today.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: also a big Arcani fan.
1: And rounding out our uh, our little party here is uh, two true freaks OG Chris Honeywell. I'm
3: doing it, Daddy.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You sure are, kid.
0: Yeah, <laughs> sure are. Kidding. So my backup so, line, because I was afraid Hero was gonna steal my line. Yep. Yeah. That's a lot of crap. Lot
2: of crap. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like I wanted to do one of George C. Scott's old soliloquies, but yeah. you know we don't have all night. We
1: don't get all night here. We we have to fit this into a reasonable time slot. So we are we are taking a look. Set your way back machine to 1984 for a uh, a little something of a horror wreck hanger on. It's uh, been been in discussion a little bit more lately for reasons that'll become obvious. We're taking a look at the Stephen King adaptation Firestarter, starring David Keith, Drew Barrymore, Martin Sheen, and your boy George C. Scott. And and, uh, in the role he was born to play. In oh, Nurse Ratchet. I mean, oh, they, Nurse come on. Ratchet, one of my favorites. Oh yeah. yeah. Now the great thing about this. So, <laughs> so so originally. Um, but John Carpenter was, yep. was given the chance to direct this and yep. Carpenter actually ended up having to, um, he was replaced because the, it, was it was during The Thing when they were making The Thing, Universal yep. offered it to, to Carpenter. The Thing didn't produce the way that Universal wanted as much as that film is beloved I, th- I think it's a known thing that it wasn't a huge hit that Universal was hoping for. So they replaced John Carpenter with Mark Lester. I know what you're saying, Luke I've heard that name yeah, you have heard that name because he's made some movies that you've probably seen mm-hmm. ranging from Commando mm-hmm. to Armed and Dangerous mm-hmm. to Class of 1984 mm-hmm. Superman to Superman 2. Superman 2, Roller Boogie, Showdown in Little Tokyo. Um, you know, there, there's See, there's a he, this, this guy's been all over the place just a, the a working professional both on journeyman. He yeah. I I think
3: he was that era's end and uh, better but he was that era's Brett Ratner. Yeah. Brett Ratner is another one of those guys who like gets called in to replace other directors as just a solid solid director, but doesn't have a style that you're going like, ooh, I'm watching a Brett Ratner movie, or I'm watching a Mark Lester movie. But he, he can sort of they can both sort of just sort of work into whatever whatever style
2: the movie yeah. Is to going the best for of our knowledge, Mark Lester is not a creeper, so there we
1: go. Yeah, I mean, to me, the thing, just between Class of 1984 and Commando, you know, putting Firestarter, putting a pin in that for a second, just for that, that's like, you know, mid-80s royalty to me, right? Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, Commando, it's like we were talking a little bit about Schwarzenegger before we got on the air tonight, and it's like, Commando is like the most 80s of the Schwarzenegger movies, isn't it? It's yeah. like so 1985. It's right. so uh, it's so great. It's I
3: mean, I, I, yeah. I remember getting that on on VHS and bringing it home, and we knew it wasn't a good movie, but it was a super fun movie, and it was filled with whoa moments, like you know, like throwing the the saw blades and stuff. That that saw blade oh, yeah. was like, and it had Ray Dong Chong in it, and it was, it was, it was, like on that border of. Total schlock and pure entertainment, and it was just like the most. It was. I think we watched it like twice right in a row. Like, oh, nice, so yeah. fun. Oh, it yeah. was just like big, dumb fun, and yep. moved right, moved
1: right along. And the the yeah. thing is, is that so you take, yeah, well, you you take a director like like Lester, who to me I said he's a professional working director, right? And then you give him a Stephen King adaptation, but it's not one of the like. Not one of the really out-there Stephen King stories. No, you know, it's Fire pretty, pretty is grounded for his,
2: early King. Yeah,
1: yeah. but it, it's out there for him because of some of the stuff it deals with, with, like, government agents and stuff, which is a little bit outside of his normal wheelhouse. But the the, the horror aspects of it are, are fairly straightforward. And then you put the two of them together, and it's such a uniquely early 80s product, isn't it? Yep. You know, yes. Especially with this cast, with the little Drew Barrymore and, and David Keith, who y'all might remember as the bad guy from Major League Two, I mean, that's what I remember him from, right? So, you well, know... I'm gentleman. <laughs> yeah, I mean, also some other things, but mostly he was Parkman in Major League Two, yeah, right? I I think mean... <laughs> David Keith seems to be playing
3: Dennis Quaid in this movie.
1: <laughs> <laughs> David Keith is Dennis Quaid in... <laughs> Yeah, that scene, that. that scene where he
3: calls a friend to look in for Drew Barrymore and, he, and he's freaking out on the bed, but he's trying to remain calm, just felt very Dennis Quaid like to me. If like the way he acted that, and just the way, but like it, that was a and plus those hairstyles in those days tended to make a lot of a lot of them look alike. But like this is like like I think like it, the it was. The book was like Stephen King's entry into it was sort of a subgenre in the '70s and into the '80s, but it was, this was like one of the last entries into that little subgenre, which was the like psychics on the run drama, it's,
2: like it's the his, Fury. It's his. It's his, co- it's his superhero. It's his comic book story.
3: Yeah, yeah, it yeah. It, it ends. Is. It ends like a super. It ends its, with like Superman with like Martha and and Pa Kent you know getting getting this kid that could destroy the whole planet, powered to destroy you know you know that art Carney's gonna be like you gotta I know you've seen awful parts of humanity but you're gonna have to work you know you're gonna have to be a good person it was it was total it, it felt even more in the movie than the book that like this was the end like the the end was the beginning of a of a superhero origin Put it right in.
1: yep. Yeah, well, yeah, the, the thing the thing I'm uh, go ahead,
0: Jay, go ahead. I just want to throw that out there because you, you've mentioned the book a couple times. Uh Firestarter was actually the first Stephen King novel that was published as a limited edition book. Uh so the books themselves, if you have original copies of Firestarter, they are actually uh so you're they're obviously available availability is very limited, but they actually are actually worth a pretty good chunk of change. So for those of you who keep, you keep I me mean, keep mentioning the book the book the book, and originally when it came out it was limited. So there's a whole lot of people who never got to read it when it first came out, and then had to be re-released. So the original releases are actually worth a good chunk of change for those of you who collect books.
3: Ooh, I might I, I I'm I am i gonna head over to my Stephen King bookshelf. I think I, I have a couple copies of Firestarter and hardcover. I wonder.
0: Oh boy, you gotta look at the gotta look at the print date. Obviously, it's their first publishing, whatever, because they did put it back out. But it's just one of those things that just think about this. I mean, I, Stephen King books. Uh, I mean, I can't I can't go to a, a, like a yard sale. Well, I shouldn't say fine. mean you, you couldn't go to a yard sale without running across a few Stephen King books oh, yeah. every single because they were just so mass produced. Yeah. But this one of the ones that was limited and because this made it so it made it so much more valuable. So yeah. um, the other thing real quick, while they're out there. Uh, Dino De Laurentiis, uh, there's a name people have heard before.
1: Hey. Hey, hey, no, yeah. We're making the movie with the girl and the Stephen King. Hey, yeah. Everybody loves the little girl, you know,
3: with the alien and the little girl, but now she shoots the fireball, but she don't like it. But she <laughs> Blow them up <laughs> and, and the- they burn up. As fox Can we fox? get to
1: a quaid does somebody like him right the
3: uh, what are the Quaids, or yes is somebody some american who look like quaid
1: now i'm slipping into like
3: russian accent
0: like quaid. Uh, the rent is paid a million dollars for the film rights to the book uh, that's so we think of it now like a million dollars seems like nothing for film rights to a, like a, a major book but this is early 80s money Like, that's a lot of money for, a like, you know, like, they're talking about, um, uh, for anybody who knows their, their history of the movie Aliens, uh, and, like, looking at what they had to pay Sigourney Weaver and all this other, and they're like, well, you know, she had to come on board, and, you know, they had to pay her almost a million dollars, and it's like, and it was like, people's jaws were on the ground, I'm like, well, yeah, folks, the whole freaking movie only cost 30 million to make, you know, kind of thing, and, like, you think about Aliens with literally everything that's in that movie, you know, kind of thing. Like, that was the whole uh, um, thing with when, like, you look at, like, well, the movie's going to be so over budget. Like, what's the budget of the film? And they're like $17 million. And I'm like, there are actors now who we can't even get for, you can't even have a cameo right. yeah. for $17 yeah. million. Well, but-
2: I mean, no, the, the million dollars at the time is a big deal. I mean, because the, the oh. promise carry had come out, and that fucking blew everybody away. And then the Salem's Lot TV miniseries happened, and I that I think people tuned into that. So at that point, it was the feeding frenzy. Like, what can
0: we buy? Right. And this already had fucking you know screwed the pooch because he made Kong's, You know his Kong movie sucked. Oh my god! We're seeing the
3: origins of Stephen Stephen King's cocaine addiction happening here. The early (laughs) seeds of it. (laughs) Uh,
0: Cocaine.
1: yeah.
3: We're we're will uh, see how Cujo got written.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yep. the thing with the thing with Firestarter is that this is one. Now I said th- this is our horror wreck hanger on, and this was released on VHS in 1984 from MCA Home Video, just a standard slipcase release. I'm sure you've seen it. The the front cover is a take on the one sheet, just has the uh the uh straight-on shot of Drew Barrymore who plays Charlie. With the flames behind her, it says, Charlie McGee is Stephen King's Firestarter. Will she have the power to survive? Uh, And I I know I've seen this one at movie gallery back in the day or movies or or what have you. Um, But the thing about the, um, you know, and so it it is, it was on, on VHS, but I remember this one and I've got, I've got two other New Yorkers here with me. I remember this one being on channel 11 a lot. Yeah. a lot because it, it was a horror movie they could show in october Not that required to nothing that to be it. cut whatsoever out of it you know yeah and they I mean, always I show i remember up- seeing it on tv more than anything else right
0: yeah because the, oh. the on on the commercial for it on like w on wpix there uh we'll go real local uh it was always the they said you know this friday night Firestar and they always show the fireball come f- whipping out because there's nothing you have to I mean there's no blood there's no gore there's nothing but it's like holy shit look at that fireball because <laughs> the, the fireballs were real it was all done yeah. with fire and whatever and that's one of the, the director always said it was the hardest movie he ever made because he had to do everything with you know, practical special effects and uh,
3: it's fine it had to be a pretty dangerous like so many people get set on oh get God. put in their fire suits yeah. that like are getting set on fire in this I mean, movie I mean, you couldn't look, cgi I, it in those days yeah. you know
1: and and i know i know i know my brother pretty well i've known him for a few years i know my brother loves a guy <laughs> in a fire suit on film rolling around it's like oh, this, i love this, it like, half this movie is like the j movie of dudes in fire suits for crying out loud yeah. wow. well now so that
3: the- i know how fire suits work i always whenever i watch fire suits in a movie the second they cut the scene you know that's the second the second you know the frame after that is where the legs of the person with the blanket and the fire extinguishers are coming running in and and putting and i love it's not them getting setting on fire and laying on the ground and rolling around it's the it's the slow motion dance of death where they put their arms up in the air and go oh and like let me make but, this fire worse. All of a sudden, they're like these big asbestos guys just walking around slowly, waving their hands and going, aye, aye. So, it's very so effective, that, but it's, right, I love it. So,
0: that, so if you think about like Nightmare on Elm Street, the original Nightmare on Elm Street, when Nancy sets uh, you know Freddie on fire there, and that scene where he's in the basement, whatever, and that scene goes on for a very, very long time. And you're like, you're counting this going, okay, this is not in slow motion. This is in real speed. This guy's on fire for a very long time. You can only burn so long. Those fire shoots are not impervious to you. You know, like, you know, you can still die in it. And you're watching this going, God, he's going, he's going up the stairs. He's setting everything else on fire. Like, you just go you're like, Jesus Christ. Like, put him
1: out. Because it was fun.
0: <laughs> not to mention
2: the fact that you can't fucking breathe because
0: the fire's right. eating all the oxygen in front of your face. Think, but like, but he so he's, he's he could get burned alive. You can't be, but he's the person's acting their way through with The stuntman who's doing that, you're like, oh my god, you're gonna be kidding me, you're gonna be kidding me. It's like such a long thing, and what made it worse in Firestarter is there scenes where they have to get like she's blowing them up. So there's guys jumping off of trampolines while they're on fire.
2: <laughs> yep. Oh no, I mean the, the budget for this movie went into the last ten minutes, man.
0: Yes. Yeah, that's where it needed to go. There are guys literally like besides the fact that you're, you have the fireball coming through the air on the wire and crashing into buildings, which means, you know, they had guys who were on fire jumping off a of trampoline and flipping through the air. Well, think about that. We, it's already chewing up all the oxygen. Now you have to be physical enough to jump off the trampoline, all that stuff. It's insane. But it's... nowadays you would just CGI all that stuff and no one would get even close to a real fire and you know whatever but um the the um sorry the uh the the one thing to keep in mind though too uh is that obviously when when things are made i mean this is you know the, this is the early 80s practical effects back in the day they some of the effects they're inventing things as they're going things that we take for granted as practical effects in the late 90s or mid to late 90s were invented in the late 70s and early 80s because they had to push the envelope, how can you push the envelope yep. further and further and further? Well, some of these things were invented there and then you're like, huh, well, that's that's pretty cool. It's like, yeah, well, I invented that for this movie. You know, it's like literally when you watch Carpenter's The Thing, you're like, well, we invented that for this movie and now it's like a standard or or it's like the first time anyone ever said, what do you mean that's a suit? There's no zipper, like the predator interlocking suit which would then be mastered even further with the Gilman and Monster Squad. And it's like, oh, it's so standard now to make a suit that overlaps and and doesn't. (laughs) And you're like, yeah, but it wasn't in 1986, you asshole. It's like, oh, yeah.
3: Do you guys guys think that Lester uh, was sort of doing a little carpenter light with the direction the direction and the the music is I mean the Tangerine Dreams very Carpenter score.
2: Yes, I I are watching this again. Actually. I was like, "Oh yeah, we got budget giant Carpenter." Okay. But and, um for the I don't think Carpenter probably would have been a little grittier.
3: Oh yeah, no. And, uh, they, and they said the scripts for the he has Carpenter had like two people write scripts that were and they were both, they both skewed from the, the novel. And, uh, when, when he was off the thing, they, they, they brought in another guy to, to get it close to the, to the novel.
2: I, I think but, he probably would have pushed the body horror aspects of yes. being able to control people's minds or s- set them on fire. Like yeah, the, the, and the, I mean, the Heather Locklear's death would have probably been even worse. You yeah. Know, um, and like when, uh, when Andrew tells that guy he's blind, like I can't even imagine what Carpenter would have done with that. Right. It probably well, wouldn't the, have been during the, or, the day. Or when they were g- given been... the
3: drug. The scene when they were given the drug. And, oh, there would have been
2: a whole trippy sequence in there. Trippy
3: secret sequ- like yeah. the. I I remember it with them talking to each other in their heads longer and stuff like that, and and it was more sort of a Cliff Notes version of it. And like and that and that like yeah the direction is just sort of like light like uh somebody go putting like the John Carpenter flavor into it that yeah. sort of straightforward aspect of it but you know who I think would have bit would this movie would have gone into overdrive with as a director would be Cronenberg. I would love to see the yeah, yeah. been
1: stuff about yeah all the psychic powers and all that. And yeah. a, you know, a government organization well, injecting people with stuff. Yeah. I've yeah. you know,
3: done shit. the movie that sort of formed that, that genre with scanners that of the, the psychics on the, the psychics on the run. Actually, it's like the X-Men really,
2: <laughs> yeah, for yeah, that genre, but
3: you yeah. know, but like,
2: well, I mean, it, it, it it's not, it's not a far stretch to, I mean, is is this just a takeoff of, of the Midwich Cuckoos? I mean, of you know, Children of the Damned. I mean, do you? Because King had to have read that book and seen. Oh, that sure. Film. yeah.
3: No, he write, wrote wrote about it in um, *Dance Macabre*.
2: So sure. it's. I mean, yeah. There's certainly another version of this film where it's terrifying, terrifying. Dude. I mean, you
1: know. and and that's and that's the thing. It's like you know, you you put Stephen King's name on it, and that has that certain cachet to it, right? Yeah. Uh, but then you you get the, this film, which is, it's I don't want to say it's it's pedestrian, but I'm saying like you you set the table for his hero coming after Carrie, and Salem's Lot, and even Christine is before this too, isn't is it? Is Christine it? '82. And L- 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 no, I thought it was the same because when
2: Carpenter lost out on this, he. Did Christine right?
0: I think Christine came out first, though. Oh, okay. Let me look. Let me look. Let me look. Yeah, keep going. I'll, I'll, I'll find out.
1: Christine, Christine is. Uh, let's see. Yeah.
3: But like, but like, I mean, the Fury. Christine and... came out in
1: 1983, so Christine came it's, out. It's a year before before. Before. Yeah. 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 So, but again, but just, just with that setup, right? This seems a little bit more grounded. Like we said, but a little Fury bit more. And
2: Scanners were
3: R-rated you know, grit fests. Yeah. Where whereas this one is is firmly this one's this one just I remember and I mean I feel the I, I like this movie and there's parts of it I love like Art Carney like really gives us all his art carniness in this. Um but like it's it's very yeah the just sort of quality with with a good cast solid script but the script is like really like the dialogue and stuff is is very it it was probably the most like true to the stephen king material at this point as anything else
1: that's what i'm saying of of all those of the one i mean you you feel the especially um um carrie and christine because we we covered christine and and we've talked about Carrie b- before because I know we're all, or I believe we're all fans of Carrie here. I know Jay is. Uh, yeah, but, the uh, style a, of Those movies was right. You know, the, the, the director's the, style was part. Exactly. A the, part there, of there's, it. A, there's a there's a there's, there's an auteur level, right, to those films that's not in this. Like you were saying, Chris, is that um, you know Lester is more of a of of a, uh, a, a, a I don't want to say professional, but more of a mainstream style director. So this one to me feels. A lot like a Stephen King story, like reading a Stephen King book, you get that. Uh, I don't get Art that. Art
3: Carney's dialogue sounds yeah. just like reading a. St- it's right off the page. Of, right. Like I wouldn't. I wouldn't doubt that. Like parts of it, are, it's almost like when Roman Polanski did Roma- Rosemary's Baby, and like you can almost read the book along with the movie, and have huge chunks of dialogue You know, it just sort of it uses it as a really firm. Yeah, I
2: mean, I. I don't see it as a detriment in this. I mean, you spent a million bucks on the rights. Like you got to try to recoup that investment. That was
3: one of the most impressive things to me at the time is, as I was like, this is, this is, you know, the most like, I, 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 although I like those other movies better as Stephen King movies. Yeah. I was like, this one is the most, you know, this and Christine,
2: you pretty friggin' closely to, right. Right. To the text. Right. This
3: one has less style. So you're, so you're paying attention more to the the elements that were, were in the Stephen King book,
2: right? Well, to I mean, it's a, well, it, I mean, it,
3: to a David Keith and
2: and and Drew Barrymore and Sheen and uh, George C. Scott, like they're they're not taking the script for granted, and they and they're not acting like they're in a B picture, like right. they're no. fully committing to what this story is.
3: And well, they also like they they also go broad at points, but like Martin Sheen, it goes broad. And then when he gets mind controlled, he's not afraid to just go into just sort of like default mode, you know, default mode for a while. George C. Scott's on full sweatiness, you know, start. Yeah, I mean, he's doing the double
2: thing of I'm pretending to be this guy and now I'm this guy pretending to be Charlie's friend. Right so, right well
3: he's, he's just the he's just the 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 he's just the 70s 80s CIA assassin crazy creepy cra- I mean what a creepy role to take it's like I I mean it's creepier nowadays but still it's just like they really set him up as as a pedophile until you know they're like it, finally, you're like, well, you know, well, what are you gonna do? And he describes, and he actually describes what he's gonna do. But up until Look her now, right in
2: he's, the face and make sure yeah, she's he, happy, like, and then I'm gonna break her face.
3: Yeah, and then yeah. I take her powers to the afterlife. That's the crazy part. But like, it, he, I mean, it was all. I mean, they purposely were setting it up that he was gonna, that he was kind of creeping on her, and. You know they're pro- they you know it's PG movie, so make it subtext and and give it an out. But it's re- it comes off really creepy.
2: Yeah, he's he's the
3: most it's the most horror creepy aspect to the whole movie. The,
2: and it's and it's the real life creepiness because yeah, we all know in real, real life nobody's life. getting telekinetic or pyrokinetic it's, powers. It's,
3: it's, this guy is a fucking. Awful psychopath, and he's and this and he's totally manipulating the uh, it's it's this kid, you know, in in the movie, and and so and and like and also picking George C. Scott to play a a Native American character when that wouldn't fly.
1: That wouldn't fly nowadays, Yeah,
3: no. (laughs) Well, I mean, ideally, like the the guy for the role at this time is I can't remember, but that from uh, One Foot of the cuckoo's Nest, the the guy played Chief Bromden from.
2: Yeah, I don't know if he would have had—I don't know if he would have been able to instill the level of malice, though.
3: No, no, George C. Scott—I mean, this is a George C. Scott role, so, I mean, it works, you know. It,
2: I, I really think it does, and I'm sure it's one will, of yeah. them.
3: It's one of the things that, like, this isn't one of Drew Barrymore's—like, be- Drew Barrymore is kind of the—she's the star of this movie. She's the picture on the cover, and right. she was hot off E.T., and it was like, wow, this kid can act— and she's good in it. She's solid, but she's not like you know. I mean, not as good as she doesn't have Spielberg directing her either. So there. No, yeah. no. Sorry, I mean, so you know. So
1: but uh, the, you know what? What's what's amazing about George C. Scott is that you know, first off, the same year he did this, he played Ebenezer Scrooge, which he got nominated for a Primetime <laughs> Emmy Award. So you know, chew on that. But it's like he's really good. You know, George C. Scott's really good at playing an asshole. Yeah. You know. Isn't he? Because, I well, always, the one I was thinking his of... voice are perfect. Well, the one I was thinking of is, remember that movie Hardcore? Yeah. And, and where it's like, okay, he, he's gonna, it's like, he's, it's like that, 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 uh, that sex worker that's helping him, he's gonna, he's gonna screw her over, he's gonna screw her over, and sure enough, at the end, he screws her over, right? He always plays, you know, he's so good at playing an asshole. So you watch this, and you're like, man, I really can't wait for him to get fucking killed. Yep. You know? And, and, again, they does what it says on the box. Fires are started. You know, and and he gets what's coming to him. So, it in that sense, again, it, it does make me, it, it brings you back to to the king story, cause that that's that's what goes down, right? And so, I like I said, it, it's it's a crazy performance, but then, yeah, like I said, when he like you said, he just tells you tells you straight up what's going to happen. You're like, fuck, I hate this guy. Yeah, you know, I yeah. don't well, I don't like Sheen. I don't like you know um, the shop. I don't like any of no. these guys. But, but at the end of the day, Sheen's a all.
2: pencil pencil pusher. Yeah. yeah. And, but Rainbird is just yeah. vicious, uh,
1: disincarnate. One, one other thing about Rainbird. You know, we talk about a lot that when we were kids, we thought quicksand was going to be a bigger problem than it's turned out to be in our adult lives. Right. <laughs> you know, another one? Tranquilizer darts. I really <laughs> thought tranquilizer darts were going to be a bigger thing that I would have to be worried about as an adult. And I've never come across them. I'm 42 never. years old.
0: Yeah. And tranquilizer darts with quicksand around. Because yeah. you're like, I would be like, oh shit, I got tranked. Oh no, I'm in quicksand too. Fuck, and I'm going out. So,
2: uh,
0: <laughs> we just throw this in real quick. uh
1: well, I'm still obviously waiting for the free drugs that get offered to you when you're in like oh. middle school and high school.
3: When you go to college, yeah. Well, and
1: that, hey, that's another George C. Scott thing <laughs> because he was in college.
3: God damn hey, it. Hey, that, that's another.
1: I was gonna say hero. That's another George C. Scott thing. Him playing an asshole because he was the bad guy in Cartoon All Stars to the Rescue. That's right, he
2: was. He's not. It's, his performance isn't as good as uh, Joe Pesci in, in Moonwalker, though. Bugs and drugs.
0: Uh. <laughs> so real quick, I just wanna throw this in. Uh, that Sheen actually had to replace Burt Lancaster, who had filmed half the movie already. Um, he had to. Have a, he had to have a heart up, He had to have a heart surgery. So they had to replace. Right, which would be very different than... than, Yeah.
2: um, Because we're only like four or five years away from him being Moonlight Doc Graham and friggin' Field of Dreams, right? I
0: I can't, I don't think that would have worked. So, and then the other thing is, George George C. Scott uh, had to wear an eye patch, um, which was not a fashion choice, but he had an infection due to the original contacts he had in, so he had an eye infection in the movie, and they couldn't get it. Clear. Oh, did they try to make his eyes brown? I don't know what they tried to do. All I know is the whatever he had to wear, he had to wear a uh, he had a um, a contact, cause an eye infection, and it was real bad. So they said, "Okay, let's put an eye patch over and keep filming." So he had a real fucked up eye under there, uh, like it was all. I guess I, I'm assuming real pussy and stuff like that, kind of kind of gross, but that's added uh, value. Why wouldn't you just roll with it? Yeah. Well, because, cause, you know, pink well,
3: eye. And I think they, they added lines of dialogue because of it. Because remember yeah. he said, you want me to wear a mask or something? So that when he had the eye patch, so they were basically just saying, like, oh, he put on the eye patch because he thought that his milky eye was freaking her out. And, and you know, and then they just sort of glossed it out, you know, explained it with that
0: line. Works for me. Yeah. Well, anyway, so I'm just saying is It's, it's, yeah.
3: Um, and that, that, by actually, the way, that scene where the lights go out and and he freaks out, that's the brightest darkness I've ever seen in a movie.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that
3: apartment, every inch of that apartment is lit.
2: <laughs> and, if, and if Carpenter directed it, you would have seen some rim light on, like, the yes. bedpost and that's it.
3: Yes, exactly. It would have been it would have been dark and light, dark, barely see anything in dialogue. Yeah.
0: Yeah. The uh, other thing I wanted to throw in real quick is that uh, obviously um, we know Drew Barrymore gets the role, um, but it, it originally they had um, they they didn't they didn't think they were going to get her. Uh, they were trying to get her. She was only eight when they actually made this movie. Um, so think about that. So she was what like? Well, did she already do
2: Cat's Eye for De Laurentiis before this,
0: or was that after? After. Okay. That's uh, originally they had actually interviewed Jennifer Conley and uh, Taylor Neff uh to be considered for the role um you know kind of thing so i mean because she was only eight when they filmed so that means when they probably they were filming when she was eight so she was like seven when she was reading for it like you know because remember off of et because et she's what five six years old you know kind of thing so um it was they didn't know if they would be able to get her especially coming off of et you know kind of and thing you so, know
1: and, and it but it's i'm <sighs> her being eight when they made this and the character is eight as you know, I mean, it's I, I have a dog.
3: <laughs> yeah.
1: It's weird, right? You actually it, have, it so doesn't big actually
3: big happen in movies a lot, no, uh, it I doesn't. but it gives it, does. it
1: gives it a level of authenticity because yes. my, you know, my youngest, she just, just turned nine. Right. So I know I'm very intimate with having an eight year old daughter, you know? Yeah. And so that, that interaction between Charlie and Andy, it's, it's really sincere. Yeah. And, and that those scenes are just the two of them, like when they're on the run or when they're, you know, on the side of the road or when they're with the, at the Manders farm and stuff like that. It's that stuff. That's the other stuff that really makes you think a king. Right. Yeah. The way that those scenes play out. It's the so authentic. And, yeah, Yeah. And so that, so having so getting someone that is the right age. And you get that, the, not only the right response, but the way her voice is, the way how her, the, whole, the her physical size relative to her dad and all that. Again, that, that I thought worked really well. And it was, and it's, we've talked about this before. That's something I never would have thought about if I didn't have, when I'm watching the movie, an eight-year-old daughter, you know, yeah. to, to, and it's like, oh, of course, that's exactly how that would work. So yeah. it, it, they said it, 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 it does, it, it doesn't, it's weird. It's not a particularly ambitious film. Now, Except also, for the last reel, the last reel is very ambitious with the fire, because you not only get the fire, you get her, you know, disintegrating the bullet and the other stuff like that, you know. So that there is a lot of things that go on in that last that, reel.
3: That that guy getting blasted up into the tree and and yeah. catching on the limbs is That's really so nice. Cool. The only the only there were only I I I thought there were a bunch. Of, I remembered a lot of like technical glitches that I saw in but I only spotted two of them in this and one of them was Art Carney singing without his lips moving in the truck in the beginning which is just a you know bad post sync thing and when the golf cart gets fireballed and you can see the uh see the pole that comes out you can just see the pole shoot out to make it flip over under underneath but otherwise I like in my memory that whole sequence was way cheesier than it really was they executed that like that was that was a pretty you know with the fire with the fire splitting in three across oh, the ground yeah. and three fire you know and her splitting like her advancing her powers as she was fight you know like you could see her figuring out new things. It was well thought out and well executed.
2: And they put the, just the, the the fan on low out of frame so her hair blows like the yeah yeah know, the, the fire's lifted it. Yeah, and, and again, it doesn't need to be super ambitious. the The original story isn't even super ambitious. Um, it it's just a little sci-fi boiler yeah. about a, a father and daughter, really.
3: And and it has and it and it and it's got it's yeah it's got that element of creepy cia you know the shop yeah. being the cia basically and and probably like it was right on the heels of like mk ultra being you know coming into the, into the public and and those stories you know where i mean just like jacob's ladder was sort of based on you know them testing you know drugs on troops this was based on real lsd tests although I don't think anybody clawed their eyes out if I remember. And another thing about that is I noticed is they were like, "Yeah, there's going to be a, you know, half of the people are going to get um water." It didn't look like anybody in that
2: room got water. <laughs> that we know. Yeah, well, you know what? This yeah, was a workman like film. They told people. us and then they yeah. showed us our 2 lead, well, our lead and our Yeah. Our damsel in distress, uh, you know, getting their drugs, and then all right, we don't have time for anybody else because they're not yeah. going to factor in later in the movie. Let's just focus on Heather Locklear.
3: I just thought yeah. it was funnier that the government told them someone would get water and just gave all of them the drugs. You go.
2: <laughs> well, that
1: sounds about right.
3: <laughs> yeah, <Yes>. exactly. <laughs> so there you, you doubled go. your see? chances
1: of getting a reaction that way. Yeah, know? exactly. Yeah. The other thing, I, another thing I really like about this is that, so this was primarily shot in well in and around Wilmington, North Carolina. And yep. um, so it, I mean, as, as someone from the Carolinas, you can see that this looks like that portion of Carolina. Some of it was actually filmed near Lake Lure, which again, very, very well-known area if you're in the, uh, in the Carolinas, that you can tell like a lot of the stuff around like the lake house and stuff. It's like, okay, that, that's in and around that area up by Chimney Rock there in, in North Carolina. So that was cool. And the town, because they're in... They're um, they're they're at Lake Chimney Rock. You actually see the yep. sign for it. So they're in the little town of Chimney Rock, and it's it's very, again very authentic looking with the little small town post office and the little stores and all that. Um, and and again, it goes into that that seventies paranoia because the shops infiltrated the little town and everything else, right? So uh, also, I like how the um, shop just
3: yeah. flat out kills the postman. It's like, come on, there's a million ways. You know, you you're getting kind of sloppy. Just like, oh hey. Hi, Postman.
2: Well, <laughs> we really haven't seen them kill anybody else, you know, other than Heather Locklear yet. So you gotta, you gotta focus home the, you know, the fear factor.
1: These guys will kill anybody to get their job done.
3: Yeah, but they could have just as easily, him.
1: Uh,
3: he's a, that he's a
1: Postman. The, the chances are he was gonna just going to dump those letters out in the woods anyway. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been fucking hilarious. They tail him and he just goes out and dumps. It's like, oh shit, I guess we don't need to kill the guy. Okay, good, we're done. <laughs> Beer's on me, guys. You know?
0: <laughs> so, real quick, Heather Locklear, this is her movie debut uh here. Um, I think she on was TJ Hooker was already on T V at this time, right? Or am I, am I off on my ears?
1: Uh
0: I honestly don't know. Well I mean, she
1: had she had been on Dynasty before this right? Because Dynasty was yeah. What, yeah, no, TJ
0: Hooker was already on. TJ Hooker is eighty two. Yeah. So she was on there. Um, but I'm saying is, but, but well, I mean, people remember her a lot from TJ Hooker. Yeah. So, I mean, was a big, she was the, like the, the second lead in that thing, you know, behind Shatner. Um, but yeah, this is her movie debut, uh, which, you know, let's be honest. A lot of people, I mean, Heather Locklear, you know, pretty easy on the eyes back then. So yeah. kind of thing, uh, but she wasn't
3: presented the, in that way. I mean she was presented as being really pretty, but she was kinda like, you know, sweet college you know, she wasn't playing like a sex pot or a like
2: No, girl know, next door. Yeah, she yeah, was doing yeah,
3: definitely Girl Next Door and and uh and I mean she was solid
1: for well, you know what, brief Florence amount of time she was there. Yeah, I mean for the amount of time she's there. I mean the thing you you know what her next movie was, right? Yeah. Return of Swamp Thing. Oh yeah. Uh, Oh wow! So the she, TV, you know, she was no, her, in *City*, which is a TV movie. Yes, well, yeah, I mean, time. a theat- theatrical movie, you know. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so yeah, I mean, again, she she's not in it much, and that that's a little disappointing. But I guess I mean that she's not doesn't have a huge huge role in in the book either. Uh, right. The the mom doesn't. So it's like, you know, if if it, if, it, if it was someone other than Heather Locklear, would it really change it that much? Probably not. Yeah. You know. But now, obviously, you know Heather Locklear is just so well known for all her different, especially like Melrose and you know Dynasty and T.J. Uh, Hooker, like you said. But you know, but she's she's you know just just it's it's cool that you've got another name person in this cast, even if it's somebody who really is only in the movie for about but probably about ten minutes all told, right? Not even maybe. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm being I'm being generous. With all
2: him. right, so if Carpenter directed this, what would, would would it have been uh, Jamie Lee Curtis and Kurt Russell as? As the Muggies.
1: I think it clearly would have been Kurt Russell. You know, he starts gunning down guys in the street. I like, you
0: know, I think it'd be funnier if it was David Keith instead of Keith David.
4: Ooh, <laughs> I'm cool with that. <laughs>
0: like, get me on Tommy, on Tommy for this fucking chair. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I, I always wanted to make a movie where it's like David Keith and yeah, Keith, Keith David, David are, you know, like you know, kind of thing. Just, just have the title, just be. David Keith, David, Like kind of thing. <laughs> like, like just to the top so you can read both. Yeah, and be like, they, they're they're buddy cops. They're cops. No, I was going to
1: say you do that, or you do like a body switch thing, right? Where they you know they switch lives and stuff. Oh my god! <laughs> oh, that's, that's the like cop- freaky fire day. But,
0: but that's the comedy you make after you've already made the serious movie with them. Uh, I mean, yeah. Wow, they were good in that movie. Oh, this is the comedy now where they've now switched? They're like, what kind of zany, you know, the 80s? The, I don't know. I, I forgot who did that because it was like always the same guy. What kind of zany things could happen? I was watching a trunk compilation of trailers the other day, and it was all stuff from the 80s. And it had uh, Big, Vice Versa, uh, like Mac and me, things like that. Like the movies all from then. But it's like they you know, like Josh Baskin went to went to bed a ten year old. He woke up in an a jolt and I'm like, I mean, yeah, okay, voiceover guy. That movie made tons of money and like, you know, some of us saw that as the lead in for the sneak preview of a movie no one's ever heard of called Die Hard. So yeah, uh yeah, you know, yeah. yeah. So not still not the best sneak previews ever. Best sneak preview ever, still Predator Cop. Literally two movies that define your entire life. Anyway. Um, but yeah, I think it'd be really funny if David Keith and Keith David, you know, switched roles. There, we crazy. Could you, you know, just saying? But um, I'd pay for I'd pay
1: American dollars to see it. Yeah. Well, that would have been so. The thing is, like, I've uh, also made and uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Jim.
0: But that would have been really cutting edge at the time because you'd have Heather Locklear as the mom, and uh, you know, and, and David, um, um, David Keith, Keith. David. Keith David, right? Yeah, as the dad, they'd be like, "Well, I don't know if America's ready for this." In a Stephen King novel, just throwing it out there.
1: So, <laughs> <laughs> see, that's that, that's the other thing. I was thinking about it. The other thing we have covered another movie, another Drew Barrymore movie on this podcast. Scream, Scream. Can you imagine yeah. the beginning of Scream? If she's playing her role from Firestarter, yeah,
0: it's very different so, movie.
1: It's like she burns a guy through the yeah. phone. What the fuck? Ah! <laughs> yeah. I'm so funny, like, uh, like what door? The camera, yeah. thumbs up. Roll credits. Thanks for the, thanks for the twelve bucks. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's
0: like you bastard, get here! I'll burn you! I'll fry you right up! It's like, oh fuck! <laughs> like Jesus Christ! <laughs> I mean what's his face at the? Uh, uh,
3: the popcorn pop <laughs> on the stove just starts popping.
1: Yeah. She just Okay, it we did I need I need this version now. I need I need it's it's Scream, but it's but she but Drew Barrymore from Firestarter, you know? Yeah. Charlie McGee in the you know, in,
0: in the beginning is Scream. It's just whatever.
1: I don't know What's your favorite
0: <laughs> scary movie Charlie.
1: It's Firestarter. <laughs> nah. I love that, was,
0: that one. easy. No, actually it'd be even funnier than that, be like,
1: uh I like
0: Christine, and they're like, "Do you like Fireshirt?" No. Uh, John Carpenter's the best director ever because what you know, because his Wes Craven, so he would take, you know, <laughs> a to make a shot at somebody, even though he's <laughs> friends with them. you know. You're like, oh, see, that's the whole thing. I, not, not to get us off that, but it's true. As much as Scream is so meta and like all that other stuff, like it was like self aware. I am a hundred percent surprised that. You know, I mean, because they kind of make fun of, like, the idea that, like, you know, Friday the 13th, the first one is obviously Mrs. Voorhees and not Jason or whatever, right? But um, Wes Craven and Sean Cunningham were such good friends that there wasn't a dig, like, not a dig, but, like, I like, kind of like a wink-wink like a at Sean Cunningham in there because I guarantee you Sean Cunningham would have done it the other way 100%. <laughs> um, even to the fact that... Uh, and I, don't, I don't know if people know this or not, um, but when they were shooting Friday the Thirteenth, the original, um, and and all the you know they were running out of money and whatever, Wes Craven actually showed up to help get the things done. Wes Craven was working on that movie um, because he, him and Sean Cunningham were just good friends.
1: You yeah, know, just kind the of di- the difference is it's like you know if if you say if the other way around, Cunningham would put the gag in there. It's oh, because sure. Cun- well, but it's because the difference is, is that just for mainstream audiences, for Wes Craven that'd be punching down. Right? Yep. Taking a shot at Sean Cunningham. I mean, horror, horror nerds, we know the score, but like Sean Cunningham taking a shot at Wes Craven, that's just funny. Yeah,
0: But well, yeah, yeah. I think I think what we, we all have to remember, though, is the uh, fact that in The Hills Have Eyes, there's a slash through jo- the Jaws poster. Jaws
1: poster, right.
0: Saying you, you're not real horror, we're real horror. But then, you know, Sam Raimi saying, wait, I'm going to take the Hills Have Eyes poster and put a big slash through that movie. Uh, in Evil Dead telling you no you're not real horror we're real horror no one got any of that stuff but Sam Raimi 100% believes it's true yeah. so <laughs> yes that's Sam Raimi the guy who makes like freaking you know these insane blockbusters and whatever you know he's like yeah. well, makes, well, a billion, well, makes
1: a billion dollars making a Doctor Strange movie now right so right, exactly. <laughs> this <laughs> is the world we live in he made a movie for a dollar. Well, isn't that funny though? Well,
3: now he's the gra- like, like him doing the that Doctor Strange movie is like he is now sort of like, he's like the the gra- you know. I mean, he didn't start the new trend of Marvel comics, but he was the first, like director, that brought a comic book character fully real like to the screen uh, I think to where Singer people.
2: Singer beats him with X Men by like a year or two. Yeah. yeah,
1: I mean it's all it's all part of that. I mean it's all part of the same milieu, right? Because yeah. Spider-Man doesn't happen if not for X-Men, and yeah. if you really want to get onto it, X-Men doesn't happen if not for Blade. Oh, right? yes. Yeah. So it's all. But you're right. It's it's you you had a you had a a a, a guy that was a, a name director, admittedly, I you know, bit of a outsider doing Evil Dead and Army of Darkness and stuff like that, but a name guy doing. A big budget movie that was a, you know, it was hearkening back to like Superman the movie that hadn't been done in a long time, treating it with not uh, respectful, if not reverent. you er, know, er, Earnest and, and forthright, yes. Yeah. And, earnest, and sincere, earnest, and that started that, that movement. And now, and we've, full now of we've style. Swung, well, now we've swung so far past that, you know, on the style meter that it's funny swung. that now he's come back in, right? Well, because we, we we swung right past it. Into bathos and kitsch, and then and and then self awareness and poking fun at yourself and and turning it into a comedy. That now we have to go back to Ramy to get back to sincerity. but so, if, yeah. I'll get I'll get yelled at on the group if I start talking about superhero movies. So I, no, I digress. I
0: just want to throw this out there though. Couldn't we kind of trace it all back to 1990 when Ramy made a little movie called Dark Man? Dark
1: Man. Yeah. Well, yeah, there, yes, there,
0: there you go. Oh, let's see. I don't have the rights for anything. Better make my own superhero. Yeah. Well. Yeah, I'll tell you, because we saw Dark Man in the theater kind of thing. But yep. Dark Man was just yep. like, what the hell are we watching here? This is crazy. Because you think about that movie, right? Is that, you know, I mean, obviously, uh, Liam Neeson wasn't as big a star as he was, you know, and uh, Francis yep. McDermott hadn't had, had, had won enough for the Academy Award and whatever. And But that movie is solid throughout the entire thing, and it's just nuts enough. Yeah. You could say, "Oh yeah, this is a Sam Raimi movie." Because every Sam Raimi movie, ha- and I haven't seen the new Doctor Strange yet. Oh, it's very much a Sam Raimi movie. Thing. it has to be just nuts enough, right? You know, kind of thing. Even even like his more mainstream things, but, but when when it when it's in the in genre, I'm not talking about for love of the game or something like that. You know, kind of thing like that. When it's in in the genre, it just has to be just crazy enough. Drag me to hell. It's not. It's not. It's not like way off the deep end. You're like, oh my god, what the well,
3: hell? Here's, the, here's yeah. the thing with the Doctor Strange movie: the subject matter is a multiverse. It's literally yeah. just like infinite possibilities of weirdness. And so, when he gets to do his raminess, he gets to really get get unhinged. You know, to the oh, to yeah. the point of like uh, like and, and like the people think of him as unhinged, but his only true, real unhinged. Movies were really the Evil First Dead evil movies bits, because yeah. they had uh, they had a premise that was unhinged to start out with, and so does the Doctor Strange one. So, like to me, it felt more Evil Dead, and it has a lot of like.
2: Oh, there's a lot evil, of evil, evil
3: books and spirits flying around, going, ha, ha, ha,
2: ha, you know, invisible. and basically a Marvel version of a deadite. So yeah,
3: yeah, yeah, yeah. And as a matter of fact, for about ten seconds, I was suspicious that 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 character was played by Bruce Campbell. But uh, <laughs> it,
2: it uh, but Cumberbatch is definitely channeling Bruce Campbell he's, at he's a Chin point.
3: first, yeah. But yeah. like, yeah, but like, if you give, you know, and. He's, and everything else has been, even when he did, uh, what, Drag Me to Hell, was still kind of, it 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 would go crazy at times, but it was also restrained because he was telling a just sort of standard, you know, almost like thinner, you know, almost like a little mirror version of thinner. But like, yeah. Yeah, I don't know how how he got into Sam Raimi. Here we go over the map
1: so okay. deep. Well, we we're talking, we were right. talking about superhero movies. Yeah, well, I mean, but the, the, the thing, thing is, thing.
2: Like, like I said earlier, this is kind of the this is kind of a superhero. Movie.
1: Oh it's yeah, right. Yeah. It, and they, I mean, tell you the the other the other adaptations of this, and you know, if you've been paying attention, you might know that there might be another adaptation of this coming. You
2: this mean? Uh, where, where, did they do
1: TV movie sequels for this, or was that for Carrie? They did. No, they it was did a did mini a, they, series. It was I a mini series. Oh, for called, fuck's sake! Called Firestarter Rekindled. which was a a, (laughs) a sequel of sorts. Available on Kindle. I'm sure it was. Um, (laughs) Now, that's got Dennis Hopper in it, you know. Well, it's got Malcolm McDowell also. Um, Yeah, I I know, but, but, you know, I I, I like me some Dennis Hopper, you know. But the thing is, uh, is the... uh, Way to go.
0: uh, Marquis Moreau plays, plays Charlie. She actually plays Charlie. So this is a sequel when she's grown up. But you know, and then Rainbird is now played by Malcolm McDowell, uh, so yeah, it is—it's um, different. <laughs>
1: well, you know what's funny? Okay, so Marguerite Moreau, who really sounds like she's like the storyline daughter of like Dr. Moreau, yeah, right. So yep. you might know her; she's Connie from the Mighty Ducks. Yeah. Right? Oh shit. And. And you know the funny thing is, I'm looking at this. hurt the in the Mighty Ducks, her last name is Moreau.
0: Oh my god! Really stretching so it's like, those acting chops. That's
1: one of those ones, like, yeah, sure, why not? You can yeah have keep the same name, sure, whatever.
0: Wait, is that like when how Tony Danza is named Tony, Tony? and
1: season? No, but th- this is this is her last name. <laughs> like she's not named Marguerite. <laughs> It's like Marguerite Moreau could feud with Abby, you know, Abby Arcane, right? From you know, who was Heather Locklear? So it's all right there. It's all this goes straight to the top, you know. <laughs> it's all connected. Sorry, that's total recall. Man. Uh. Open that door. We can't. Or, We're all connected. Or
0: or New York Telephone to go more local. Uh, so, uh, Tom, Tom Panarese is laughing there because he gets yeah, that. Tom
1: Panarese likes it's all connected. New York Telephone yeah that's his, in, in any event yeah but then i mean they, they did that one and then the remake um by bloomhouse which uh is is out now or you know available right now as we're recording this <clears throat> you know because it's 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 another one of those things that everything from the 80s is back in some capacity right so but yeah i mean that the thing bottom line with this one for me is that is that it's not the most ambitious horror film it's not the most ambitious king film but it's it's solid and it's it's totally worth watching especially if you're if especially i think to me if you grew up in the 80s at all you've probably seen bits and pieces of this and it's it's just a well-made professional movie and it's and it's got a great cast and the story is solid and it's a it really is a a very straight straight on adaptation of the king book so to me it's worth watching
2: and it doesn't need to blow
1: you out of the water
2: nope no, it's it, it and it moves along. It's what about an hour and 45 50 it's minutes almost, before yeah, the almost credits? Two it's,
3: hours, yeah, and it, with the and credits.
2: Um, and, and any every time I watch it, I get a little warm feeling uh, just because I enjoy it and it's I'm never bored watching it and I really really want to see Charlie win at the end. I mean, this is a, I mean, this is a king book that if any king book has a happy ending, this is probably the closest one.
3: <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It's sort of like Carrie with a happy ending. (laughs) It's sort of like, what what would, what if Carrie was not like mentally traumatized by her parents? (laughs) What if Carrie was mentally traumatized by the U S government, by the CIA instead of her parents? And so, and it has that, it has that slow. It's a slow burn. uh, It's, (laughs) But, like, it makes you, you're by the end of it, you want to see her burn that place to the ground. You're yeah. just like, it it makes you want to see that place get blowed up real good. And then they blow it up real good with her walking down through the center of it. And it's, uh, very, it's, it's a very, it's a nice, yeah. nice bit of excitement at the ending. And, and since it's not the 70s, it does have a happy ending. Yeah. And, yeah. you know. And, and if this, heading and into it, the newspaper now, every heading into the New York Times now, everything will be all right. <laughs> hopefully,
2: hopefully. Hey, look! If this movie doesn't exist, well, but, then but that then the Duffer Brothers never make Stranger Things, so
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what's funny is that in the in the that's one of the changes in the book is that in the book they go to Rolling Stone because they determine that that's a non that that's a that is a. A, a journalistic outlet that will actually publish the story that's critical of the u.s government and that that alone is a relic of when it was written isn't it yeah
3: yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. It sure is I don't
1: because, even it, they're because whether anymore.
2: they're totally done
1: right yeah but even but even then thinking just now with rolling stone to be like well who's in office when these drug tests were happening man you know that kind of thing and it would determine whether or not they they publish the story or buried it same with all, all the papers also right it's like, you know, well, you know, because uh, that, I mean, it's stupid to say, but it's the absolute truth. You know, there are well, certain the outlets that, that if, it was a, if it was a GOP president, they'd love to publish it and vice so- versa.
3: Well, I'm sure the Rolling Stone, I'm sure Rolling Stone did publish stuff about like MK Ultra and stuff like that. So, you know, yeah, that's what I mean, that at, that, at that
1: time, absolutely. I'm saying yeah. if you, you take this and put it into a modern context and that that means something totally different.
3: Yeah, I don't you know. know. I don't know if the, the Rolling Stone would be so like. Inclined to be like, let's publish something about the CIA these days. I just don't. if you've
2: got something that juicy, you send it to every media outlet. <laughs> just you just everybody yeah. thousand because uh, <laughs> some people are gonna and and rightfully so. Somebody should pick it apart and see what's real and what isn't real and and to try to dig and uh, hopefully everything comes out in the wash.
3: Yeah, send it out to everybody and hope there's like an actual journalist that gets a hold of it.
2: Connie Chung. <laughs>
3: <laughs>
1: I Top forget all about Connie Chung's. Now I'm I'll wondering never what Kovic Kovic is doing these days. Maury Maury is fine. you are not the father. That's the uh, that's the one meme. One of the memes I, I absolutely love. And you see this. Jay, Jay I think knows which one I'm going with. This. You see this. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna switch gears a little bit here. I know I know everybody. Just hold on a sec while I tangent. Okay. You see this <laughs> all the time on. The Masters of the Universe and like GI Joe groups and stuff on Facebook, and he got Moripovich sitting there and says, "Okay, you claimed you were only going to buy the ones you had as a kid. That was determined <laughs> to be that false." Was a
2: lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah.
0: Both <laughs> the ones you wish you had, like yeah. you know, like oh, I bought the ones I had, but I also wish I had had
1: this one. That, well, that's why I, i'm not gonna lie Ho that's why dress i have blues a blues
2: comes out i'll buy it so
1: oh gung-ho in the dress blues oh it's yeah. one of my abs I, now that i did have that but that's one of my favorite figures That's what basically. i'm saying if that
2: one comes out in the classified series i'll get that one
1: yeah well but but you know that they the ones you wish you had that's why jay knows this that's why i have a motu origins clamp champ upstairs yep. because that's my guy right that i never got that is like oh i gotta get clamp champ you know yeah, but anyway
0: that's why I have Ninja, and that's why I have uh, Scareglow, and uh, like...
1: Scareglow. Yeah, Scareglow is a top ten figure. Yeah. Anyway, you know what's funny? Ninja is pretty badass, but he came out in the same wave as Scareglow, so everybody's like, "Yeah, he's just a guy." Like Ninja is pretty badass too, you know.
0: It's he got kind of lumped in with it, but because he gets forgotten, but
1: what he's all about, soft the goods, pit. you yeah. know. The soft goods is a crazy thing for, for Motu. There wasn't a lot of yeah. figures with soft goods. There were figures with, with hard goods. But a lot of the soft goods were over on, on Princess of Power. At, cool. Adam, had, Adam had a cloth vest. That That's about it for soft goods, isn't it, in, in Motu? Yeah, that's
0: the whole thing. The exception proves the rule. Yeah. So, you know, it's, That's what Steve always says, right? He's right. like, well, Jay, the exception does prove the rule. And I'm like, you're right, man, you're right. <laughs> this is
2: still topical because Motu was still big in '84, so oh my
0: Motu
1: God. was gigantic in hey. Yeah, <laughs> but anyway. anyway. so if you if you're interested in in watching Firestarter, if you have a streaming service, it it is available to watch on Peacock. So it's, on the, cock. it's on the cock one cock who's raid rock. You know? <laughs> I, my wife said that she goes, I don't like that. I said, that's Kung Fu Rooster. Everybody knows Kung Fu Rooster. <laughs> Look it up; it's out there. It, it came on after Star Blazers. This Kung Fu Rooster came on after Star Blazers. That's all I gotta say about that. But the um, you can watch it on that. It is it is on. Uh, Jay, I don't know if you have any DVD details and stuff. I, I know do. it's out there. It's 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 been around for a while. So this sure has to be it. in a
0: multi pack of yeah King, King DVD. Well, okay. oh, sure. So the Blu-ray, okay, so the regular Blu-ray they released, it's about ten bucks. Um, the DVD, the regular standard DVD is about. $10. But the uh, Shout Factory uh, slash Green Factory Collector's Edition is about fifteen dollars, um, and that has everything you're ever gonna find. That's the one I own. Um, that's got everything that's out there for this movie is on that thing. Is on the collectors. So if you're really into this movie, um, you probably already if you're really into this movie, you probably already own this. Um, but that's the but the Blu-ray of that is out there. It is uh, like Luke said, it's available on Peacock um along with uh actually um the the, the mini series and the new one were all on peacock too um oh but it's, it's i'm just saying that they're, they're all together the whole fire starter collection comes up um and i was like is there a collection but uh, so, um, so. yeah so um yeah i'm just saying is so that they're, they're available uh if you're interested in, in owning the physical media version of them um the the you know the the dvd is very no thrills uh you know no frills no nothing if you're into you know a collector uh, i suggest the collector's edition from shout screen factory which you can probably score for about 15 bucks you can actually score it cheaper than that if you will pick up a used version but that's got everything you're going to need i mean anything that's available for this movie is on that disc
1: so yeah all right so all you all you king fans Go out there and check it out. And all you Drew Barrymore fans, go out there and check it out. Check it out. And though you got you guys that you guys, and you're out there, you guys that really like fire. Fire! Fire! So, you know, you you guys with your cane t shirts and your zippos, you know. (laughs) Go check this out too. But and and the thing is, like I said, so I mean, so I mean the the this was and again, peek behind the fourth wall here. You're breaking the wall, man. You like Chris Jericho breaking walls down? Oh, am I talking wrestling on a non-wrestling podcast? I'm going to piss somebody off? So. Hey, but I'm um, just unprecedented. To for this, so. Unprecedented. I know, but you got you got. Uh, you know what? I'm not going to say it. My therapist says it's time to move on, let the past go. Right. Yep. So, the this was I'll just. But to give a peek, this was not originally on the list of things to cover on the the, the horror wreck hangers on this year. But, but fucking Zac keep, Efron. Zack Efron, and let me tell you something. We've seen Zach Efron from a junior in high school to a guy in a fraternity house, you know, now pissing like off 40, Seth Rogen, right? who was a he I mean, he, he made Seth Rogen's life miserable. To so that me, that makes him a hero. Okay? <laughs> Not all heroes wear capes. And now we've now he now playing the role of a dad to an eight-year-old girl. So we've seen the whole breadth and width of uh, of Zach Efron. So there is the new version of this from Bloomhouse which de- which you know, debuted in theaters and on The Peacock. So that was the impetus for doing this. So if we're going to do the old one, probably a pretty good chance that we should come back for the next episode. It's probably going to be the new one, right? I would think, right? So, I'm, you know, I'm, it'll be I'm interesting honest, to see.
2: I'm honestly dreading it.
1: <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I am. I kind of am too, to be honest with you, because those Bloomhouse movies have been, we've got some good ones and we've had some you know, lesser ones. You know? I'm
3: surprised it wasn't one of the like uh, requels with Grown Drew Barrymore.
1: That would have made it would entirely have, well, too much sense, Chris. Well, <laughs> let's let's not let's not get ahead of ourselves, uh, gentlemen. And I do use that term loosely. Let's let's you know, let's focus. <laughs> we we got a, a whole other episode to talk about the Bloomhouse one, but but for now, uh, any final thoughts on 1984's Firestarter? From Mark Lester with David Keith, not Keith David, and Drew Barrymore and George C. Scott as a creepo.
3: Not um, classic Stephen King adaptation, but rock solid
2: Stephen King adaptation. Yep. This is this, this a good way to spend a Saturday afternoon.
3: Is is probably as good as you're going to get with a Stephen King adaptation.
2: That doesn't in go completely mo- off the in a PG random. movie, yeah, <laughs> yeah. In a PG well, movie this... that isn't
3: Stand by Me. Well, you, you know? know this isn't
1: PG. This is R. Was this R? It is, yeah. I it's totally not, not R, R though. though. <laughs> yeah. It's
0: rated R because the, remember they didn't have this is 1984. PG thirteen did not exist yet.
3: Yeah, I, it's not even PG thirteen really. Like compared to like it's... Gremlins or Indiana Jones, it's it's a pretty <laughs> solid PG. Mo- it's. Ch- child
2: people. in peril is always yes. in, in constant has, peril yeah. is always
0: going to amp up the yeah. cool people got set on fire oh and yeah. Is, yeah 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 yeah
1: yeah
0: so the thing is so they the, it, the images were considered to be disturbing images nowadays it's nothing uh, because there's way more disturbing stuff on bravo than anything else
1: <laughs> right, <So they're>, right. <laughs> and, and you know <laughs> <laughs> you know what's funny? You know what else is also coming back? We're talking about fire. Not only is there a new fire start, there's a new Beavis and ButtHead. Yeah, it all comes yeah, full yeah, circle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty you good. Go. This,
2: this your afternoon. You, know, you got fire it, and then you got Beavis and ButtHead do the universe. Yeah. <laughs> you'll go. You'll have all the
1: extremes. About
3: equal amounts of fire.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yep. Hey Both baby. Movies. wanna hey, light baby. me on fire? <laughs> <laughs> back butthead. off! Back off! Back off!
4: <laughs> <laughs> Visit our website at twotruefreaks.com. Two true freaks is always spelled T W O T R U E. F R E A K S. You can email 2 True Freaks directly at 2TrueFreaks at gmail.com. 2 True Freaks and all of its excellent affiliates are available on iTunes, and you can choose to subscribe to either the entire network if you wish, or pick whichever individual shows you want to follow. We have so many shows to choose from, there's just bound to be one that appeals to your particular fandom. Just search 2 True Freaks with an exclamation mark at the end
1: <laughs> Fire. Hey, you want to see something really cool? <laughs>